All right, so we are blessed to have our first message brought to us by Mr. Jeff Henderson. And it's going to be uh, entitled, Get Your Cross Out of the Closet. So it's nice to have a, a helper, right? <laughs> Making sure I'm, I'm all where I should be. Okay. But I, I don't want to overcome you with too much power here. I just want to be heard, that's all. I just want to be heard. Okay. This is great. They even have a, a clock up here. And if you talk too, too long, a little hand reaches out and slaps you. Okay. I'm sure all of you are familiar with a song that we've sang for countless years. It's called In the Garden. And the words, of course, are very beautiful. Um, he walks with me, he talks with me, he tells me that I am his own. And the words we share, um, okay, <laughs> um, are very precious. I forget the exact line, but you know the song. Well, I have a confession to make, and that is I, like you, have sang that song for many, many years. And I thought, well, it's a nice song. It's a beautiful song. The, the words are, are very, very nice. But I don't know that there was something for me that was still missing in what the words were trying to portray. And then an event occurred to where I can say, I get it, I get it. And I want to share with you how that came about. Actually, the turning point for me in that regard was the Feast of Tabernacles last year. And somebody gave a message, I don't know who it was, and that's fine because the way it should work is when God gives us a message, the, the person is just the conveyor. So we shouldn't think of that individual and relate the subject with, oh, so-and-so did this wonderful thing. As uh, Mother Teresa said, I am but a pencil in God's hand. And that's the way it should be. All of us, if we do have speaking roles to play in the church, and we're re really looking to God to give us that insight and inspiration, we are but a voice, and hopefully conveying his thoughts and his messages. And so it was at the Feast of Tabernacles a person gave a message about how we need to spend more time and have a, a deeper relationship with Jesus. And like so many of you, uh, a message can be ho-hum to the person next to you, but it can be custom-made for you. And isn't that remarkable how that works out? And so it was that God touched my heart and he moved me, and I realized that I, I needed to dedicate and make this a priority to have a special time with him. So when I got back home, I instituted, I told Kathy, I said, I'm instituting something new, and I'm going to do it on the Sabbath because the Sabbath is the easiest time to, to put this into effect. And I called it Coffee with God. Okay, I'm having coffee with God, that's what I do. 
So when I get up in the morning on Sabbath morning, before I do anything else, I get dressed and I take a walk down to the beach. Now we are fortunate enough and blessed enough that where we live is about a five to seven minute walk to the beach. And so I uh, walk with him and I talk with him. And I gotta tell you that since I started this, um, I've never been disappointed. There's always been something for me. Uh, he has uh, talked to me. Uh, don't call the authorities and have me committed, please. <laughs> but he has, and you know what I'm talking about. Many of you have uh, experienced the same thing. In fact, it was interesting because one time when I was walking and talking, it occurred to me that I was doing all the talking and I wasn't really getting anything back. And, uh, and I, I kind of made that known that I, you know, is something wrong here? You know, have, uh, uh, has the, uh, the empire cut off our communication? We're not, uh, we're not uh, corresponding here. And then the thought came to me, I don't know how many of you saw the movie God. Uh, remember, uh, oh God? Okay, thank you. And um, uh, Burns, right? George Burns uh, portrayed God and John Denver was the person that uh, was with him. And at the end of the movie, it was very interesting because uh, God says, well, I'm going away and we're not going to have these same conversations that we've had now. And John Denver was very upset, of course, and he said, well, you know, uh, there are times that I, I really want to, you know, talk to you and convey and everything. He said, he said, I'll tell you what, you talk, I'll listen. And, uh, and so it was at that particular time. Other times, of course, it's, it's kind of back and forth coming at a, a good clip. So with that background, I want to tell you of a specific event that occurred one day when I took my, my coffee and my walk with God down to the beach. And as I was standing there on the bluffs looking out over the ocean, the thought came to me, you know, this, uh, and the weather forecast was calling for high winds, a lot of rain for the next day, for Sunday. Weather pattern changed, everything was going to change. So I looked out over the ocean, and it was so beautiful. The sun was shining and glistening on the waves. The pelicans, I just love it. They were just flying right over the top of the water. I mean, it was just, just a millennial type of, uh, of, of sight. And I, I thought to myself, you know, looking at this serenity and how beautiful this is, it's hard to imagine a storm is coming. And yet, I knew that that was what was forecast. So what I saw today would not be what I would experience tomorrow if I were standing in the same place observing the same scene. And then the thought came to me, and so it is with my people, because there are dark clouds on the horizon and there are bad times coming. Now, at the risk of uh, being Johnny Raincloud, um, I want you to know at the outset of this that it doesn't give me any pleasure uh, to have to uh, dwell on this particular subject. But I feel it is necessary, and I'll tell you why. Because I, I feel that, you know, it's so easy for us to be in denial about things. And we in America in particular uh, have been so protected and shielded from the persecution that our brothers and sisters are experiencing around the world. And so we live in this Disneyland, right? And it's hard for us to imagine that things could change so rapidly. And of course, we even see that in, 
in government, don't we, in, in our society. I mean, look at how much has changed in one year's time, right? One year, and everything is completely different than it was. So there are dark clouds on the horizon, and I want to talk about persecution, persecution of you and I, possibly, in the, in the future. Now, you know, Jesus was very transparent. People are always calling for transparency in government. Jesus was upfront, and he was very transparent. Uh, he said in Matthew 16:24 in the New King James, I'm reading from Matthew 16:24. He said, "Then Jesus said to his disciples, "If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me." Now, when he uttered those words, there was no misunderstanding about what he meant, because people were seeing people dying on crosses all the time. Remember when Jesus went to the cross and died, that wasn't the first time there was a public execution on a cross. I mean, it was throughout the land. There were crosses with people dying on them all over the land of Israel. So there was no misunderstanding of what he was talking about. Now, I want to read this to you in the Passion Translation. It says, Then Jesus said to his disciples, If you truly want to follow me, you should at once completely reject and disown your own life, and you must be willing to share my cross and experience it as your own, as you continually surrender to my ways. Now, there is a Hebrew version of Matthew, and it's interesting how that is translated. It's translated basically, if anyone desires to come after me, offer yourself up to death. You know, I'm reminded, basically, of um, the military. You know, they have those um, recruitment centers, and uh, all the branches of the service have them, of course. And picture, if you will, somebody coming in, to, let's say, to an Army recruiting center, and uh, the person says, well, uh, well, what can I expect if I, if I join up? And the person says, oh, listen, uh, we, have, we, have, we have a program for you. Um, we will send you to college. We will help you to get an education. Uh, we will uh, set you up for a career path in the future. And uh, all you have to do is just give us a few years in return. Sign here. Now, suppose, on the other hand, the person walks in the door, and he says, uh, well, what can I expect if I join the Army? And the person says, well, uh, you can expect possibly to go to foreign lands that you've never been to before. Uh, engage in terrible, terrible war, uh, see your, your friends killed before your very eyes, maybe you'll be maimed for life if you come back, sign here. Now, mathematically, what do you think the possibility would be that the person would be interested in joining up hearing that versus the first pitch, right? You know? But, you know, Jesus was very, very upfront about the whole thing. He says, look, if you want to be my follower, if you want to be my disciple, here's what you have to do. You have to be willing to deny yourself, get your cross, and follow me. Or as the Hebrew version of Matthew says, offer yourself up to death. Now, in Matthew 10, 38, in the New Living Translation, it says... If you refuse to take up your cross and follow me, you are not worthy of being mine. 
You know, we all believe that we are in the body of Christ, that we are his children, that we have been called to follow him. But, you know, when we signed up, when we were baptized and had hands laid upon us, whether we knew it or not, whether we saw it or not, part of the assembly line of the recruitment process is you were handed a cross. Picture, if you will, an assembly line, right? And you're signing up to be a follower of Christ and as you walk by, oh, your cross. Oh, your cross, right? Well, you know, we read this philosophically and academically, but do we really get it? And I think for a lot of us, you know, the cross we have is gathering dust in the closet. And we don't really see it as something that applies to us in our everyday living. But nonetheless, again, uh, this is what we're told. In Luke, the 14th chapter, Luke 24, verse 25, again, I'm going to read to you from the King James Version, Luke 14, 25. And I'll start out by setting a little bit of the background. You've heard the story many, many times. But this really sets the mood for what Jesus was going to say. In verse 25, it says, Now great multitudes went with him, and he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, and his own life also, he cannot, he cannot, he cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. And then he gives an explanation to help people understand a real world picture of how that works. For which of you intending to build a tower does not sit down first and count the cost, whether he has enough to finish it, least after he has laid the foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king is going to make war against another king and does not sit down first and consider whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000, or else the other, while he is still a great way off, sends a delegation and conditions of peace. So likewise... Whoever of you does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. Again, let me read another scripture to you. This is now in Revelation. Revelation 6, verses 9 through 11. Re Revelation 6, verses 9 through 11. Reading now from the Passion Translation. When the Lamb broke open the fifth seal... I saw gathered under the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and because they had the testimony of the Lamb. They cried out with a loud voice, saying, Sovereign Lord, holy and dependable, how long before you judge those who live on the earth and vindicate our blood on them? Verse 11. Each one was given a glistening white robe, and they were told to rest a little longer until the full number was fulfilled of both their fellow servants and brothers and sisters who were going to be killed just as they had been. Now here's another reason I feel that 
there has been a grave, grave misjustice fostered upon the Christian church, and I say that as the Christian church at large. We who came out of the background of worldwide, we knew it as the place of safety. Yes. Do not worry. The fix is in. And when all hell breaks loose on the earth, won't touch us. We'll be in the place of safety. Well, the modern Christian world, they call it the rapture. And basically, it's the same principle, right? I have heard countless times ministers who have said, uh, in speaking about uh, uh, the tribulation, uh, they say, but of course, the church will be gone before all this happens, right? Again, you know, the fix is in. The Lord is coming. He's going to take us out of harm's way. Problem is, it doesn't jive with the scripture. It doesn't jive with what we just read, right? Now, continuing that thought, let's go to Revelation 7. Revelation 7 and verses 9 through 14. Revelation 7, 9 through 14. I'm going to read this to you now out of the Living Bible. Verse 9. After this I saw a vast crowd, too great to count, from all nations and provinces and languages, standing in front of the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white, with palm branches in their hands. And they were shouting with a mighty shout, Salvation comes from the Lord our God upon the throne and from the Lamb. Verse 11. And now all the angels were crowding around the throne and around the elders and the four living beings and falling face down before the throne and worshiping God. Amen, they said. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. One of the 24 elders asked me, do you know uh, who these are, clothed in white, and where they come from? No, sir, I replied. Please tell me. These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They washed their robes and whitened them by the blood of the Lamb. Now, I know the scriptures that say that you know, a thousand will fall on your left, ten thousand on, on your right, and no harm will come to you. And yes, it is true. We don't know what the future holds for us as individuals. By God's grace and by God's mercy, some of us may be spared. But are you counting on that? Are you putting all of your chips on that proposition? Because if you are, you're not, you might not be ready when the time comes. And here's what I'm suggesting to you. If, if we're going to think of this in military terms, and many of you have been in the service, myself included, you know you don't prepare for war when you go to war. You do the preparing before the battle, right? Uh, you, you do the training. Uh, you uh, do your target practice. You do your maneuvers. You know, you, you uh, go through different role playing and maneuvers, and you prepare for the battle. And what I'm suggesting to you is that you have to mentally understand that you may be on the firing line. You may be in the thick of it. Now, 
If on the other hand, and this is, this is what I, I truly believe and why it sits such potentially a damning doctrine of the rapture and the place of safety. Because if you buy into that 100%, what happens if that's not the case? What happens if all of a sudden, you know, um, uh, there's a knock on the door and, uh, you know, they take you to jail and, uh, you know, they, they beat you and they mistreat you and, and maybe even, you know, put you before a firing squad. What are you going, how are you going to handle that? You're, you're not prepared for that. There's no way, right? Because you had said, well, they told me that this would not happen. And yet, it's happening. So therefore, they were wrong. So therefore, if they were wrong about that, could they be wrong about other things? Now, how do I get that mark again? Right? It, you, you'd be tempted, right? You would be tempted because, again, you'd be confused. You would say, well, I don't understand. This wasn't supposed to happen. But on the other hand, if you know it's a possibility, you can prepare mentally for that possible event. Again, I don't know. And, you know, let it be on the record uh, for my uh, guardian angel to record that I am not volunteering for martyrdom in any stretch of the, of the, of the imagination. But I do feel bur burdened on my heart to uh, tell you that um, it is a possibility. And I think if we're, if we're not careful, we can be in denial about the situation. You know, you talk about logic. Tell me why it is logical to believe that brothers and sisters could be dying for the cause of Christ right now, and yet nothing would ever happen to us. Are we better than they? Does God love us more than they? Are we more spiritual than they? Well, if you believe in, in the, uh, the rapture, the place of safety concept, you'd almost have to say, yes, yes, we're a special breed, right? We don't have to go. You know, I've actually heard people allude to the fact from the pulpit that basically the people that do have to be persecuted, Christians that are persecuted, is because somehow they, they weren't strong enough or they were too weak or they, they hadn't really establish the right relationship so God has to kind of slap them around a little bit and allows them to, to go through that. I don't buy into that at all. I do not, I do not, I do not. Okay? Now, would it surprise you if I told you that in early America there was a book that was second only in popularity to the Bible it was widely circulated, it was widely read, and that book was Fox's Book of Martyrs. Now, why do you suppose that is? Why would these people, I mean, you know, that's, that's it's not good bedtime reading, that's for sure. I would not encourage you to read this before you go to bed. But on the other hand, I thought to myself, why would that book be so popular in early America? outside of the Bible. And the thought came to me that these people were escaping from persecution, a lot of them, right? They were fleeing to the new world so they could worship God and everything. So they were familiar with that. And I would submit to you that maybe by reading about how others stood fast and firm even unto death, it gave them encouragement to do the same if they had to do that. So, Unfortunately, uh, I 
brought a, a copy that I was going to give to the church because I was hoping that people maybe would read it. Uh, the uh, people we're staying with, the Steele family, it just so happens they have their own uh, book, so I have a little prop to be able to show you. So they have a copy. I'm going to go ahead and send the copy anyway to Matt and Renee, and I would like it to be in the church library or available. And I would encourage you to, uh, to read it, because basically, it, it, believe it or not, even though it's, it's kind of gruesome in a way, it, it, it shows what can happen when people are steadfast and they have picked up their cross. And Jesus talked about the cross in terms of when you share, when you pick up your cross, you're actually sharing your cross with mine. We become linked in, in that event. Your cross and my cross become one. And I thought that was very interesting. And by the way, this book was first published in March of 1563. So it had been around for a while. So what, Americans or people came to the New World probably in the, the late 1600s and into the early 1700s. And I, I think it's fascinating that basically this was the second most read book outside the Bible in America. I would have never got that on a quiz show. I don't know about you. So what, what does this all mean? I, I, I want to suggest to you uh, a couple of things that I hope will be encouraging to you. And again, I have no idea as to what awaits you and I. But on the other hand, I would submit to you that uh, you do yourself a disservice if you don't think about that possibility. And it's really a part of, of surrendering all. You know, we sing songs about it. We like to talk about it. It sounds very spiritual. Surrender all. I surrender all to you, my Lord. Yes, okay. Okay, well then, uh, good. I want you to die for me right now. Well, on the other hand, I surrender a lot to you. How about I give you 80%? <laughs> Would 80% suffice? No. So, you know, you have to think about these things ahead of time. Now, again, you know, it gives me no joy to have to bring this subject up because I know it's sobering. I know it's maybe a little, you might consider a little negative. But I, I think it's something that you need to hear or something that we all need to be aware of. And I don't know really how much in Christianity, especially in America, messages like this are going forth. I will tell you that I heard a uh, minister one time from a, from a first day church, as a matter of fact, uh, say that uh, he was uh, on, a, uh, on a mission, uh, and I forget what country he was, uh, he was in, someplace in the uh, Far East, and um, someone was talking about um, uh, the blessings of God and uh, kind of bordering on uh, what's that subject? Uh, uh, you know, God wants you to drive a Cadillac and make a lot of money. Prosperity, the yeah, pro the prosperity doctrine, and 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 someone from the leadership said, you know what? Uh, you know, we don't want to hear this. You know, because this is not our reality. We're being persecuted, you know. And, and the last thing they want to hear is, you know, oh, God is coming in the clouds and, you know, and it's going to spare you from all, all this because their loyalty to, to, to Christ was the fact that they were living through persecution almost every day, right? So, and we need to pray for the persecuted church. Let me also uh, get in a plug for that. I mean, we, we need to remember 
part of being in denial is not thinking about those who are suffering, right? Because then the shadow kind of reaches over to you and you go, maybe it's coming my way. Well, maybe it is. Well, no, it actually is. (laughs) There's no ands, ifs, or buts about it because we know in the end time that basically God will allow Satan to persecute the church, all right? And um, so keep that in mind. So what I want to do as I I end end this message is, is this. If God calls you to it, he can walk you through it. What do I mean by that? Jesus himself, and we're approaching the time when we remember once again the sufferings, the passion of Christ. When he was in the garden, you know, he was human. You know, he felt pain. He did not uh, enjoy the prospect of a hideous and torturous death, right? You have to be a little bit off, okay, if, if you were to think about that. And he said to the Father, he said, if it's at all remotely possible, if the plan can still come together, if we can still have the same outcome that we talked about in the beginning, and we can do it another way, um, I'm all in, (laughs) right? I mean, let's get real here, right? But then he said, not my will, but your will be done. So what happened right after that? The Bible says an angel came to encourage him and comfort him. I, I really meditated on that, and I thought about that. I said, you know, that's very interesting. We don't give a lot of thought to that. You see, God the Father was encouraging him at that moment in time, giving him, the, and, and, and really after that, he got up, and it's almost like, okay, you know, he takes a deep breath, and he walks out, and he says, We're, you know, it's happening now. We're into this, right? And, you know, get up, you know, the... Um, you know, the betrayer comes and everything. You almost see kind of a different attitude, a shift uh, in, the, in, the, in the mindset. And I would submit to you that it could very well be because the angel came to encourage him. Now, since I'm always thinking, what if, I think to myself, did Jesus know the angel? Why, Bob, it's good to see you, <laughs> you know. Uh, and if you're the angel, what do you say to the Son of God, the one that created you in all creation? How do you encourage some, somebody like that, you know, except to say, you know, we're rooting for you or, you know, uh, it's going to, you know, uh, what you're doing is, is going to save mankind. It's, it's the reason that everything exists. I mean, whatever words the angel used, obviously were comforting and encouraging. And I just, I just find that interesting. Now, how does that apply to you and I? Well, I do believe that if the moment in time should come when we are at the prospect of making the ultimate sacrifice for him, which is our life, that he will give us the help that we need. And I would submit into evidence the following. The first uh, martyr of the New Testament was Stephen, right? Now, before he was stoned, what happened? He said, I see heaven, and I see the Son of Man standing at the right hand of, uh, of, of, of God, that was his encouragement. That was his moment that he needed to endure what lied ahead, all right? In fact, there's a, a little Bible quiz, and sometimes I get it in the email, and I remember one day clicking on it, and it said, um, uh, who was the, uh, the martyr 
that was standing, uh, that was given a standing ovation uh, by God. And I thought, well, that's kind of interesting, standing ovation. And they went on to say that that was the only time in the Bible that Jesus was shown standing. He's always sitting at the right hand of the Father. That was the only time. And really, see, again, I think that was Jesus giving him that extra ump that he needed. He was standing, rooting him on and encouraging him, you know. Okay, you know, before you know it, you'll, you'll be with us. You know, yeah, and people say, yeah, uh, heaven and everything. But you and I both know that, that when you die by whatever means, your next thought is, you know, when you're resurrected. So uh, for us to have to get up in the dead of night, sometimes when we go to sleep, you know, you go to sleep at 10, and all of a sudden you have to get up, and it's 1 o'clock. Well, you have no idea of the passing of time, right? And yet time has passed, and that's, that's the way we, we, we review death, of course. So again, you know, I want you to think about it. I want you to meditate about it. I want you to talk to God about it. I want you to have your own heart-to-heart. -heart. I want you to walk in your own garden. I want you to walk with him and talk with him and let him encourage you. And as the song says, uh, the joy... Uh, 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 the joy we have no other has known and just remember that God is with you always he said I will never leave nor forsake you and that means during the good times and the bad times so stand fast hold the line and uh, prepare for whatever the Lord has for us in the future